Uh, my name is Tim. I am definitely not Jim, although it sounds similar. There is one letter that is different. And if I said my full name, it's Timothy, which is a great Bible name. Uh, and I like to claim that one. Is everyone having a great Father's Day so far? I hope the fathers are. hope that uh, your wives and or uh, family got up and gave you breakfast in bed this morning. Got you start off just right. Did that happen? Why are you guys eating their second breakfast, right? We're all like the hobbits in Lord of the Rings. Actually, I didn't get breakfast in bed either this morning, so that's all right. Um, just a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, this morning, you'll notice on your tables, there's a paper there. You'll need to complete that. That's the way we're going to keep roll. And notice some of the announcements. There are some changes and things that you need to be aware of this morning and uh, the announcements throughout this, the coming weeks. So please be attentive to those things. If you have any questions, don't ask me. Definitely seek out Mr. Fleming, and he will be glad to uh, set you straight and to get you started there. With that being stated, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into our lesson this morning. If you've been able to be here in previous weeks, um, you've noticed we're studying the uh, book of Genesis, and we're looking at the story of Joseph. It was kind of ironic this morning. I turned on Dr. Stanley out of First Baptist Atlanta, and uh, if I'm screaming, please raise your hand. I don't mean to do that. Um, Dr. Stanley, he was teaching on the same thing, although he's given a little bit broader brush to the lesson. But um, those who have here, been here in the, in the last couple of weeks, uh, just to give you a little brief overview, last week we did study and look at how the brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers, had been sent down to, over to Egypt to pick up some food because there's a major famine going on in the land. I can tell you with truth, I have never, ever experienced famine. But most of us can turn our TVs on regularly and see countries who do go through famines on a regular basis. They regularly uh, have uh, periods with that they have no rain for years. And uh, they regularly have to go through that. And um, the world, different countries try to come together and help feed them. Well, that's the situation. It's the only one that I can compare to what they were experiencing right now. And it was so bad that they absolutely had to go to a place that may not have been favorable for them. I understand that these were tough times. Uh, you know, some people may ask, well, man, it was kind of weird. This whole family stuck together. I mean, we're talking how many brothers? Eleven brothers here and their dad and all their families and all that. They're all together. And why did every last brother head off to Egypt? And again, this was a period of time that we cannot fathom as Americans. It's really some uh, scary things went on. They had to really protect each other and be ready to actually physically fight if necessary to protect what was there. So uh, they were sent down, and when they went to get the food, uh, Joseph recognized them. And Joseph, if you didn't know this, was, and just to give you a heads up on your paper there, I uh, gave you a little character review. Uh, now Jacob, he's the, the patriarch here. Uh, he is a fearful, aging patriarch, and that'll come into play in just a minute, and I'll explain why I state it that way. We have Joseph, who's the original favorite son of Jacob, born to his wife, Rachel, and he's, dead, he's been dead to his family for over 20 years. At least that's what they thought. In truth, he's been moonlighting as Zephanet Panania. I can't say that right. Jim would probably do a much better job at, at speaking that or saying that. Uh, he's a vizier and second in command to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So this is a guy who has some power. 
I uh, often teach teens, and I, I ask them, what's the difference between a king and a president? And if they sit under me for very long, they realize very quickly that the president can say, I want this to happen, I want that to happen. But a lot of things have to come together for it to happen. When a king says something happens, uh, or someone second to the king, as in Joseph's situation, dude, it gets done, or you are in a heap of trouble. So there's a major difference. This is a guy who has some major power, and it was set in place by Pharaoh himself. Benjamin, he's the new favorite son on the block. He's, uh, he is born to Jacob's wife, Rachel, as well, and it's Joseph's full brother. So the other brothers are half-brothers, uh, Jacob being the father and others being the mothers. Reuben, he's the firstborn son and the rightful family leader, actually, in the scriptures. Um, again, he has a minor part in what we're going to read through today, but if you go back, he did try to rescue Joseph out of the pit. If you recall in the early chapters there, he did try to go back, but if, as we'll recall in a few moments, um, Judah actually led, as we look at the next person, the next brother, Judah, he led his brothers into selling Joseph into slavery. And then now, as we look at Simeon, he's the half-brother to Joseph, and he's currently, in today's scripture, being held a hostage due to some circumstances that we uh, went over in last week's lesson. And so, just thought that would be a nice, quick reference for you in what we're actually looking at. Uh, today, we're looking at chapters 43 and 44, and just wanted to bring out some major highlights that I saw as I went through these scriptures and things that maybe pertain in my life and what I can get, what I glean from this. And maybe, uh, as I've noticed through the years, I may see something that really hits home with me, but as you read the scripture, and I recommend you do read through these lessons or through the scripture verses themselves, something else is going to jump out at you. So just because I'm going to bring out something today, that might not be a, a point that you would even notice other than me bringing it to you. That's the way God is. He allows that freedom here for us. Um, but as we look at today at, at verses in chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, and as you'll see there, I have highlighted or have noted, hunger is a motivator. How many would agree with that? My goodness, yes. How many of us have a job? All right. Now, understand, um, in America, we have a luxury here. We have different things are in place to help people and prevent them from starving to death. They have access to go and get things, and that's great. And this day and age that they were living in, that was not there. And in many countries today that you go to, that is not there. They actually have to go out and scrape together and provide for those families, and it was motivating them to have to act at this point in chapter 43. And this is why I say it that way. It's because, we, as I mentioned earlier, they had just come back from Egypt. And they had food. And who was being held hostage? Simeon. Simeon was, he was back in Egypt. And I thought it was pretty crazy to me when I read through these verses. And let me just read them to you. It says, Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. Well, my goodness, did they not have some type of plan in place to go back and get that brother out of jail? You know, I mean... I, I guess I looked at this and I thought to myself, we've seen a family that is in its own way is very dysfunctional. Um, a lot of favoritism has been played out. And I can tell you, I've, I've been in a family like that. Uh, in my home, 
Guess who was the favored son? It was me. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't really realize that till um, my siblings actually told me that in my teen years. Or you're like, you're the golden child. Uh, and I look back and I, it was true. And it's really today, I, I, when I look back at that, it breaks my heart because I saw the inequities that went on because Tim could do no wrong, although I did wrong all the time. But in my parents' eyes, they were willing to overlook a lot of things because I was their favorite. Well, that's what we're seeing happening going on. And guys, fathers today, my goodness, what a challenge to each one of us. If, you, if you're a father, of course you have children. So look at your situation. Don't put on the rose-colored glasses, men. We have to step up and be the father that our children, that our children need. And so take a realistic look at what good things are going on. You know, do it on a regular basis. Stop. None of us in here are perfect. And that's the first thing we need to admit. But definitely, you know, take some right steps there. All right, we look at the, the next verses, uh, verses 3 through 5. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. The blank there is Judah takes the lead role. Is that ironic? Well, no. In a sense, it's not because we saw, as I mentioned in those main characters, you know, Reuben, he was rightfully the one that was supposed to take the lead, but somehow back when Joseph got thrown in the pit, his choice of what he wanted to have happen got pushed aside and he ended up having to sneak back and try to get Joseph out. Well, Judah being the leader, apparently he was, that, that he was, even at that time was leading, but he was leading in a bad way. Well, at this point, and we also notice in, back in verses 42-37, Reuben had already made the same offer. He'd already said to his dad, hey, you know, in fact, Jim had brought out last week that he was willing to give his own two sons and replacement, and you know, I, again, I think we even discussed it. That was kind of a strange thing, but uh, here we see Judah has taken on the role, and he's going to head in the right direction and take some responsibility now with this decision and try to get some things done. As we go on now to the next verses, six and seven, Jacob or Israel, his name is now Israel, is motivated by fear and begins accusing the others. We look at these scripture verses. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly <laughs> to tell the man that you had another brother? You know, he starts looking around. What in the world were you thinking? And telling them, telling this leader in Egypt that you had this baby brother back home. And you've kind of, you, you've set this all up. And he's very afraid because he knows he's lost Joseph. He's reminded very recently, Simeon sitting over in jail. So he knows at some point. If they go to Egypt, there is a high potential that something bad is going to happen. And that fear definitely uh, motivates him to do some things. He begins accusing them and, and looking at the, the negative side of things is the way I look at it. And I can tell you, men and women, um, fear is a motivator even for us today. And that's going to be one of the points that I want to bring out at the end is is it can motivate in positive ways 
but it can definitely motivate us in some very negative ways as well. So we have to be very careful what we do with fear. Nothing wrong with fear. It's a natural thing. When I stand before this group, I get a little nervous. A little bit of fear comes out because I'm representing and teaching a lesson to you. But that can motivate me to say, Jim, there's no way I'm going to stand before this crowd because I'm, I, you know, just, I get too nervous or something. Or I can say, you know, everybody gets nervous, really, a little bit. Uh, but when they get before a crowd, so that's the way you want to make sure that you're not being motivated in a, a negative way with that. I can say as well, as we get older, things change as well. Man, I'll tell you guys, when I was in my 20s and 30s, and I'm probably one of the oldest men in here, my wife and I are probably the, the oldest couple in this class, uh, things changed a little bit when I hit 40, you know? The old ankle and knee, man, that sucker gives me some issues. There's, you know, there's things back in the day I would have jumped at and going and, you know, the other day I was thinking, we were out hiking, I thought, you know, I've always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail or something big hike. And back home, I'm thinking, can you imagine what it'd be like to get on one of those mountains and my knee just start or my ankle give out and I'd be stuck out in the middle of nothing. Somebody having to come in with a chopper and medevacing me out of this place. You know, back again, before that time, I wouldn't have even thought twice about it. I'd have just said, shoot, strap on the shoes and let's go. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day. We were talking about uh, how many of us love roller coasters. And I love roller coasters. And I've been a youth pastor. I love, uh, my challenge was always, I love bringing young teens into the roller coaster uh, field. You know, you go to Six Flags and they got tons of them there. And I used to challenge the kids, get out, and before noon, let's see, we would get off in a little group, see who can ride the most roller coasters, which group can. And you always had some of these young teens who come in, those little 12-year-olds, and they're always rolling it free. And I loved it. And we'd go, and I'd introduce them to roller coasters the first time, and it was just an awesome thing that I could share with them. And they loved uh, Mr. Archer, or Tim, uh, they called me, and because I kind of helped them into it. Well, I can tell you, I talked to this guy the other day, and he's like, man, there's no way I would want to do that ever. He used to ride him a little bit, and he just now, and uh, he's a little bit younger than I am, but he's in his 40s, and things change. So I'm trying to defend Jacob a little bit here. He definitely is, he's reached a point in his life where he's wanting to kind of grasp it all in and hold on to it. And uh, again, we have to lay it out, make some respectful decisions, and uh, go on. So look at uh, verses 8 through 10 here. And it says, and Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. One of that one, I see that as Judah's sales pitch, of course. Uh, and being a salesperson myself, been in sales for many years, um, you know, you, you, you definitely have those lines that are going to kind of throw out and make somebody think a little bit more than what they normally would. You know, you sit down and you're wanting to buy some insurance. All of us in here have some type of insurance. I guarantee you that. You have an insurance agent you can go to, and you trust the guy. That's why you buy from him. Well, every one of us, guys, I'm going to tell you, we have our little lines that we're going to go out and get your sympathy get your empathy and get you kind of thinking the worst case scenarios and uh, that's what's going on right here he's really painting a picture 
you know, and he even he mentions what? The little ones, the kids. And I tell you, guys, I don't, I don't consider myself a real tough guy. I think of Russell Crowe when I think of that. But, um, you, know, uh, but, you know, I can see a lot of stuff. I can go watch UFC with Jim and see those guys pound their faces out. But if I see somebody hit a kid or, you know, some kid get hurt, even if it's just get their feelings hurt, man, I sometimes have to fight back a tear sometimes. I see, man, he's really, he sees his dad is, he's going to have to motivate his dad to make a decision. And he even says, Dad, you know, uh, our little ones are starving. Get that picture in your mind. And if you'd already told us, Daddy, we'd already been back twice. I can do this. So he puts some confidence there. And, and that he's going to accomplish this mission. And don't worry about it. Let's move on to the next one here. And verses 11 through 15. Then their father Israel said to him, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of the sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother and Benjamin. And as for me... I am bereaved, my children. I am bereaved. Again, this guy is really, he's having a tough time with this. So what they did is sit back, double the money. Additional gifts were to be sent. And he then uh, put out supplication to God. God, please, watch over my, my boys. They're going in, I know, to harm's way. Please watch over them. And he was being honest here. They could have said, hey, maybe it was oversight. He's noticed that. They could have gone back and just gave him and bought some more. But no, he wanted to do the right thing. And he sent back double the money, again, uh, truly to try to find some favor here. But he was trying to be honest. So that was my cue. I need to move on. Um, so they took all those things in verse 15, and they, they took off. So when we look at verses 16 and 17, Zephanat, Pananias, or Joseph's reaction, he was to plan a party. Uh, verse 16 and 17. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, and make it ready. For the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to where? Joseph's house. Again, guys, get the picture. You might not think, or initially, as we read through these things, we kind of roll through it. But previously, they had just met where they're supposed to buy grain, in essence. But now, they're getting real personal. They're going to Joseph's house. It's, you know, this guy equal almost to Pharaoh, and that's actually mentioned a little bit later in some of the lessons. So they, some things are getting ready to happen. So they went on and went up to Joseph's house, and they're getting ready for this to happen. Number seven, fear caused excuses for these guys. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So that, we, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. Boy, they were afraid of those donkeys getting taken. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke to him, spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. And there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight 
So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought with our with we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We did not know who put our money in our sacks. So they very quickly they go to the, the highest ranking person they can find that steward and start telling him, "Hey, you know this is really what happened, you know?" Because they're so again the fear is just permeating this whole situation. They're afraid of what's about to happen. And it was brought on because they see some things happen that are truly out of the norm. I mean, have, how many of us have ever gone to the president of our company's home? Now, some of you may. Maybe you have that type of relationship. But truthfully, that was something that was totally out of the norm. Verses 23 and 25. Important hints are missed. I thought this was pretty wild under these verses. Verses 23 through 25. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Now, this is the, the steward here. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. And then what's he say? I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man, man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should eat bread there. Again, they had those hints given. He mentions their God, and he mentions uh, that he actually knew. He received their money, so that should have been some type of hint to them. Hey, wait a minute. This is not exactly what, what we thought it was. Let's move on. The brothers are reunited, and prop prophecy is fulfilled. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. What is significant about that? That prophecy. Remember the prophecy Joseph had had that so angered his brothers? They were already angry, but this one put it over the top. What do you mean we're going to bow down to this little young punk? You know, you with that fancy coat on. Well, guys, this is where it happens. That prophecy is fulfilled. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. Again, they bowed and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? Or, excuse me, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out. For his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Again, overcome by true emotion. Guys, I, you know, we see right now a lot of soldiers coming home. And they've just been gone maybe for a couple years, two or three years. Uh, sometimes a matter of months. But you see that reunited situation. There's something about that coming together that just can move the family. And it is moving Joseph. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. For well, this is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of the others. And they drank and were merry with him. So get this picture. Joseph's by himself, 
The Egyptians by themselves, they're all looking down and watching these Hebrews, these shepherds. And that's one of the reasons the Egyptians didn't like them. They thought shepherds were just scum. They really didn't like them. And so they're all separated out. But Joseph's sending food from his own table down, and he's heaped this all on Benjamin here. So I can't imagine what that was like sitting there and watching this, the one that's supposed to be the least of these. He's getting all this stuff. They have to be talking to each other and going, what is going on here, guys? Something's up. The trap is set. We go on to chapter 44. Then he commanded the steward of, the, of his house, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, and that's key, make note of that, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Oh, follow those men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke these words. Now I wanted to bring that out and make note of it because there is a debate that goes on when he talks about him practicing divination. Understand that Joseph's wife was the daughter of a, an Egyptian priest. And definitely, he was going to be heavily exposed to a lot of Egyptian worship. No doubt about it. I, 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 and I looked at a lot of different commentaries. Some say, well, it would be only natural that he may be exposed. And maybe at that time, understand, yes, Hebrew law forbade or forbade them using divination. It was absolutely strictly said, you know, stay away from witchcraft and divination specifically is mentioned. But understand, that comes a good while later that that law is given. The other way of looking at it, and the way I like to look at it is, folks, there's a whole play that's taking on right now. He has taken on a character to convince these people of certain things about him, and one of them is, we can't hide anything from this guy. He knows everything. So what better way than to kind of give them an idea that, yeah, that's the cup. He called it the silver cup initially. Then he kind of changed. He thinks to himself, as, in my mind, as I'm going through it, that, hey, it'll look good if I kind of put this spin on it. To make them think that that's the one that I'm seeing what you're all about. Because he knows some ironic things, as they've already admitted. So I, I, I mentioned that because some would have mentioned uh, seen that and brought it out and said, hey, wait a minute, that's kind of a contradiction to Hebrew law and all this. It's really, I don't think it's as big a deal as what some may want to make of it. Let's go on. Verses 17 through 13. The trap is sprung. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks, we brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How, could, how then could we steal silver or gold from the Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. Boy, <laughs> I don't know. After what all has happened, I don't know if I'd have said that. And, he also, and we also would be my Lord's servants. And he said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant. And the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man, quickly, he, they run over, they lower their sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Oh, my goodness. 
they are totally freaking out right now <laughs> because the worst thing that could happen has occurred and they I know are beside themselves uh, again that's the only way I can picture it because of what has already happened they've been surrounded by fear they have to be just totally um, beside themselves and what's going to happen next let's move on verses 14 through 17 Judah's character is revealed right now when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house he was still there they fell before him to the ground again they prostrate themselves before him Joseph said to them what deed is this that you have done do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination and Judah said what shall we say my lord and that being the key there and Judah said Judah again stepping up taking that lead role what shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves God has found out the guilt of our of your servants behold we are my Lord's servants both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found but he said far be it from me that I sh should do so only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant but as for you go in peace to your father so he knows he's got them in a bad place because they've already revealed that this is the fearful thing. They're afraid of what's going to happen if the brother, this youngest brother, is not allowed to go home. Again, moving on so we can get through this lesson. Verses 18 through 34. Maturation or maturation of Judah is complete. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let the servant speak a word in my Lord's ear. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Again, how are they picturing him? He's like Pharaoh. They see him really truthfully as this Egyptian, I mean, big, big guy, you know. I mean, he's really got a lot of power. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And he said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother's dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him then you said to your servants bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him he said to my Lord the boy cannot leave his father for <clears throat> if he should leave his father his father would die then you said to your servants unless your youngest brother comes down with you you shall not see my face again when he went back to your servant my father or when we went back to your servant my father we told him the words of my Lord and when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go if our youngest brother does not go with us. Then we, or we will not go back unless he, uh, we will, unless he goes with us. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil Sheol. And therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow and Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, and this is a key verse that I thought here. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy, 
as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. We saw early on in our lesson where Judah led in the demise of the favored son, Joseph. And now what do we see? Judah has stepped up, folks. He has become a man. He's matured enough to say, you know what? I understand. And maybe I could walk away from this and I'd be free. I can go home and I can see my wife and I, and I see my children. But instead, he says, no. I, I realize what had happened then, and I think this is what was going on. It doesn't actually come out and say it. But I think he looks back and realizes that really wasn't the right thing to do. And he had to live with that for years and years and years. That preyed on his mind. What if? What if? Uh, we live in our home with a little statement that says, no regrets. We try to make decisions and go on. We understand that we're not perfect. We're not going to make the right decision every time. But we have to be able to make a decision and live in the fact that we want to look back and have no regrets on that. Now, how many of us think that's actually going to happen every time? No. There's, you're always going to have some regrets. But you try to stop. And the way I put it is, try to make the best decision you can make that time don't make a rash decision especially over some things that are so important but even the little things sometimes think about it use good judgment because the right decision could have been made in the, in the beginning Joseph. now we'll say this too and let's go on down little points that I wanted to bring out in application to this lesson hardships bring opportunities you know what we do make mistakes we do go through hardships Sometimes those things bring, bring into our life an opportunity for some things to happen. You know, again, I mentioned Charles Stanley was preaching on these very broad verses here. And he just exemplified how Joseph could have easily went, woe is me, in every situation he was in just about. But instead he said, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And he made some conscious choices to look at it and say, all right, what, what can I do here? go from there growing up is tough sometimes I've got six children believe me when I talk about there's some tough things that go on when you're maturing you some of you in here can recall back most of you if not all of you there were some things that went on in your teen years in your early 20s uh, maybe through your 30s whatever there's some tough things that go on life is not easy sometimes but what I try to tell you and tell myself, when I start thinking of things and going, what was me? Stop. Look and see where you really truthfully are. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people that are truly going through some suffering, tough things. And, you know, I know Amy's been, she's been battling some things with cancer. And, and uh, you know, Brent over here just went through some surgery, had his appendix taken out, and some other really tough things. I mean, Truthfully, but even if you're going through those things, those people, you know, look at truthfully, you, you know the Lord, and he's on your side. Things are not always as they seem. Sometimes we really look at a situation, we look at the bad, and we forget that cup is really half full. I mean, it really is not half empty, it's half full. And God has a lot of stuff he's not finished with us yet. I gave some scripture references there. Take your time to look at that. And then uh, personalize it. How often does fear cause me to miss God's given opportunities? And then what relationships do I need to offer and or ask 
ask for forgiveness in. That's our choice in life. And we can either act on it, or we, I'm pointing to me, can ignore those things and uh, go on and, and see where the cards lie or whatever. With that being stated, go ahead on your tables. Uh, do we have paper or y'all discuss prayer requests? And uh, thank you. Happy Father's Day, by the way, again. <laughs>